Café Rollist is your caffeinated tabletop RPG break. It started as our exclusive Patreon show, but following a survey with our supporters, I am happy now to share its most recent episode here with you. If you enjoy this show, please consider checking out our archive of a hundred or so additional episodes, which are still exclusive on Patreon. Welcome for our second attempt at streaming. Hopefully it will go... I mean, it was very pleasant to have Jane a couple of days ago, uh, but hopefully we'll have less technical issues today. I am Kaloum from the Rollist. Welcome to Café Rollist, which is supposed to be... used to be a laid-back thing we would record with a friend that we were we would meet between our, our work breaks. But uh, considering the situation right now, I decided to do it online. And it's a good opportunity, actually, to finally have on the show someone who was there hiding in the chat room when we were recording about tabletop RPG in Lusitania. <laughs> Welcome among us. Uh, I forgot to ask you before we start how to properly pronounce your mm-hmm. first name. is Rao. In, in Portuguese, it's João. João, João. Mariano, Mariano. Yeah. But you can call me Mariano if it's easy for you. Mariano, okay, or John. Yeah. What well, John? It's actually it's it's English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, Giovanni, João, Juan. They all come from the same thing, right? It, it reminds me a weird thing which happened to me when I was in Barcelona way way back uh, as visiting the place as a student. Uh, I was, I think I was probably still a student in architecture and I ran into this Briton in Barcelona who told me, oh, you should really go see, uh, this exhibition of architecture by this famous architect called Joseph. And Joseph? And I was like, who's this guy? And what happened is that you got the, an, there's this architect called Richard Rogers. But this Briton had heard of the exhibition yeah. through uh, Catalan, who told him how it was Joseph, <laughs> Richard Joseph. So when he explained to me, uh, it became jo- Joseph, which was kind of weird. Anyway, that's a side yeah. way. That's a... Yeah, it tra- yeah, it translated the name for you to, to get to understand yeah. what was the... Yeah, yeah maybe forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually been to, to Barcelona, and there's... um like a, a, a triangle of different pop culture and geek stuff stores called the Triangle Friki. And I went there and then I was with the notion that uh, Catalans, they speak Castilian, but they speak Catalan as well. They speak Spanish, but they speak... So maybe I shouldn't try to impose myself by trying to speak Spanish. So I'll try and speak English then, which is the worst thing. Uh, he actually said, the person in the store, at the store said... Please, please do speak Portuguese very slowly. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, hi there, people. I'm Jean. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, Sorry. everyone in the, the mm-hmm. chat room. We, we've got a few people that I must say the, the Portuguese are very supportive uh, on, on Twitch. We, we always break records. Uh, today, we've got two, <laughs> which is groundbreaking oh. for the realist. We actually recorded an episode in Barcelona with a club there called Sans Nigorat. So we discussed a bit about the Triangulo Freaky. Mm-hmm. I recommend to check the episode. And we, we there's a there's a library which yeah. has its own tabletop role playing game there. 
which is called uh fan hunter i think it's called uh it's uh oh yeah fan hunter yeah yeah is it famous in portugal as well no uh it's not really but i know what fan hunter is because it's a it's a satire rpg about rpg culture back in the 90s so you have vampiro that's it's vampire it's a joke on on vampire i know because some years back we got we could got some Spanish role-playing magazines here. It was a bit hard. Or maybe I went to Spain and I bought it and I, and I read about it. Yeah. Fan, fan, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, fan the main Fire vi- and, and Fan and Hunter, yeah. yeah the, the main villain is Bob Cuervo, Cuervo uh, who apparently is, the o- is based on the owner of uh, La Liberia mm-hmm. Gigamesh, which is in the Triangle of Freaky, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's the best. Yeah, Gigamesh is the best. Yeah. Awesome. So I heard of a little thing called <laughs> Concordia 2020. What is it? I mean, I know what it is, but uh, can you tell <laughs> yeah. all two watchers what what it is? Yeah. Um, so d- during this present crisis concerning COVID nineteen. Um, we at the Portuguese community had the very strong necessity of still being playing with each other. Um, given that we usually have monthly meetups at Lisbon, in Lisbon, sorry, in, in Porto as well, and some other con- Portuguese cities. And when the crisis really became, um, very hard to ignore, we had to cancel, uh, our Lisbon monthly meetup where we, it's a free thing. You can go and play. RPGs and we can talk with each other. Uh, it's a, it's a really public space. It, it was in a shopping mall in shopping center. So we had to come up with some kind of thing that could replace and not really cancel all the meetups. So, uh, Ricardo Tavares, who's Jogador Senhor, you can find him as Dream Up something at Twitter online. Um, he came, he, he was jokingly, awfully joking, say, ah, we should have a con, we should have a con because of Corona, we should have a con. And he even, um, pushed forward the name and I said, oh, that's not a really good name. And let's call it something else. So, uh, we came up with Concordia. So Concordia is a very spur of the thing moment, some two weeks back when we said, okay, we have a server. And at Discord, it's called RPG Portugal or RPG Portugal. You can get it, get in through RPGPortugal.com. It's, it's, it's all, also has an English page, so you can, uh, click on the, the icon that says EN. Um, we have a Discord server. We have voice channels. Let's do a kind of con. So we came up with the name Concordia, as in Discord and Concordia, Concord. And we said, okay, let's start. So let's, what right now? Yeah, let's start. And uh, what's the date? Because if it is a con, you have to be at some dates, right? We don't have any dates. So it's a kind of initiative all day, all long. We try to organize, uh, playing sessions through, through Discord and through the voice channels. We try to broadcast them. Some, some of them have been broadcasted. There was a Mork Borg, uh, session by Andre Tavares, come back again that you had here at the Rollists podcast. Um, we, it, it's on whole initiative, whole initiative, Twitch, uh, and YouTube channel. You can find out. We also played, uh, 17th century minimalist. It's a OCR game by Andre Nouveau, who's a Portuguese author. 
And we've been trying every, almost every day to have sessions organized ourselves. We have the um, uh, Google spreadsheet where you can fill in your the sessions. We are really, really trying to organize some talks and some workshops. It's been hard because it's very, it's a bit more difficult to get people going on and, and broadcast it. So we came up with that solution. So as we are at home, some people are really down here and they are not feeling really, they are some bit anxious being in social distancing because here in Portugal, all essential, uh, only essential services are open. All of, most of them, most of the other services or businesses are closed down as well as, as, as schools. So people are really, most of them are working from home. And we tried, okay, let's try to do it, uh, twisted it as something positive. Let's play, try and play more with each other and through online. It has been really, for me, it's personally a very, uh, learning process because trying to play online, RPG online is a bit different. Um, I prefer presential. I've played in the past some years back. Because I'm a, I'm living in a very small town called Omidi next to Centenai. And I, back some years back, maybe, I don't know, 10 years or eight years back, I thought I was the only player here, only RPG player here in Omidi. So I had to play a lot online. It, it's a bit hard and different to play online. I, it's not my favorite. I don't know about you. Uh, if you like to play online, if you prefer to play uh, in person, what about you, Kam? I think, uh, I think it's interesting at the moment because well, first I never game mastered online until last week, so that was the mm-hmm. first time I was running a game. But beside that, I run, I played a, a few games uh, which were streamed live on different channels, Criticus Academy and Counter Roleplay. And my view was that it was not a second best thing compared to playing at a table. It's just slightly different. I find there mm-hmm. are things which are better playing online and there are things which are not as good playing online. Also, it depends when you talk about playing in um, in a real environment, it depends what kind of environment you're talking about. If, of course, if you're playing at home with friends in an environment you yeah, completely sure. control yeah. or if you play like many people did it until, did it until recently here in London in a pub among a, a public, which which is not your public or your audience, but just the 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 patrons of that pub, and they they maybe not interested and very often very noisy, so that not be a, a, a the best place to play. I find playing online um, it can be in a way in a weird way more immersive. I don't know, maybe it's because I was playing with I was very lucky to play with top notch players as part of stream, so it's also slightly different than playing with with friends who are excellent role players but if you play with people who play every two weeks sometimes several times per week and they do it in a performance mindset it's kind of different do you think because i was wondering about that i see a lot i see see almost a generation of role players discovering playing online especially uh, slightly older players uh there's the uh, there's another podcast called The Grognard Files, and the, the audience is awesome, but as the name uh, implies, Grognard, there are slightly yeah. older players interested in more old school games. You won't find as many, let's say, critical roles fans 
among them as you find uh, elsewhere, but mm-hmm. they're having their annual online convention, which is Grog Meet. They also have a physical convention, but they they have literally hundreds of players this year. They so much more of the listeners of that show are gonna play now online. I'm wondering yourself. I'm wondering if these people um, and I'm wondering yourself. Do you think you will? continue play well you did before but do you think that there will be this will remain do you think it will impact the community in a lasting way do you think players know that they had a taste of playing online will realize that actually it's not as bad as they might have imagined and they, they will continue playing and now we we got we are there's much many more of us playing online than they used to uh, a couple of weeks ago Are you still with us? You look like you're frozen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you listening to me? Yeah, sure. It's a bit unstable here. So I think if people are really, they will be exposed to it because they are forced to. And I think they'll, because there is now a strong reason to play online, people who will try it will find out really quickly if they want to still try and get an effort and play it. I think what people will learn um, in the next few days is that there are some solutions in online playing that are really good for what kind of game they play and others don't. I think people will find out that maybe you don't need all the virtual table mapping and tokens and all for most, um, most of the role-playing games they can try out. I think we even will try and came out with different games, maybe even create different games to play online. Um, I think, because the thing is, here in Portugal, some of us had to play online to play with people from other cities. Because even if our country isn't, is that big, for example, for Lisbon to Porto, that's 300 kilometers. So it, we can easily go every day to Porto to play with people that we know there. So. Some of us already played online because of that, because of the distance. Myself, I've played with a lot of, uh, a lot of some uh, Brazilian players and game designers because I can't go to Brazil. So I went, so we already had some experience and there was a need too. I think people will, for those specific games that aren't very popular, that it could be hard to get even in a monthly meetup to play. I think people will get to be knowledgeable of playing online and get experience to it, and we'll try and play then online. Because even in our Discord server in RPGportugal.com, we have now created the means to get to play online easier and better. So those tools and ways will stay there. I think people will get, okay, online, it's a, it's a, it's a different kind of way of playing role-playing games. Maybe it's not my favorite. Maybe it could be my favorite now. It could be to come to be the favorite uh, of a, uh, a person's favorite. So there is another way I already know how to do it. Let's try and play more online, given even if I hope, of course, this crisis passes on and we still uh, we have to, to, we can stop social distancing and quarantine. I think people will play more online, but I think people will find out different solutions to play online. As in, it can be easier and more accessible than it already is today. I think I think it will happen. Possibly here in Portugal, but I think worldwide it will happen as well. I think even 
we, we talk about a lot about Roll20 because it's a very popular tool. And even Roll20 has a different kind of features that people don't really need to play role-playing games. It's more, maybe if you go down the line and try to master them, you'll lose a, a lot of time that could be already playing. I don't know. That, that's that's my idea. I could be wrong. I don't know. What do you think? What I find interesting is I remember quite a, a few players before before moving on to online who would not find games in their area and would lament, oh, I cannot find a game and so on. And, or yeah. they would ask me, where can I find a game? And, and Or they would post on some pages I manage. I live in this area of England, which is less populated than London. And when I would be suggesting the option of, have you considered trying an online game? They, they would take a step back and be like, no, 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 no. What I want is to play a real role-playing game. It's not to play a fake <laughs> role-playing game online. I think hopefully this kind of mindset will open a bit more uh, as they see at least some friends of them having a go at it. Because it's a pity to think, of course, if you prefer playing around the table, that's perfectly understandable. But it's always a pity to see players not playing because they don't have this ideal scenario of playing. Yeah. And it's not just playing physical. Uh, I keep arguing also for people contacting me. Uh, I run the London Dungeons and Dragons. And often when I tell people about joining a club, I tell them just go there and join whatever first game you can find. If it's not Dungeons and Dragons, that's okay. But you, even if you, what you really want to play is Dungeons and Dragons, you will end up playing one much sooner if you join any game first and you get to meet the people and then you are the first informed about, uh, playing. And sometimes you can even play games which are not in your area. Like I'm, I was just chatting, uh, in our little chat room. I'm trying to get myself a spot on a Buffy the Vampire Slayer table. <laughs> uh, because that's, nice. <laughs> that's a game I would really like to try. We, we're finishing a complete rewatch with uh, Persephilia. We, we're in season six or five now. God, I love that show. I really love that. And show. you still have Angel, right? You still have Angel to watch. Yeah, I keep, yeah, right. I, I keep telling <laughs> you my keep wife. You keep going and watch I keep, it. I keep telling yeah. my wife she needs to watch Angel because she never watched Angel. <laughs> so it's like a third or fourth rewatch of Buffy, but she never watched Angel. I told her, you know, you need first season. It's a bit tough to go through, but it's really worth watching Angel. There's very, very good moments in there. So she's like people not trying online. She's not trying Angel. I'm waving at her. She's working from work, so she's very patient. She's making. Yeah, uh, I know of Angel. I've just only watched some episodes, but I know that it's connected. It's in the same universe. I don't know if there is a, a specific number of Buffy seasons that you have to watch and then watch Angel. I don't know. If it's that really demanding. You, you don't have I know, to. I know you don't have to. There's some yeah, yeah, some yeah. references, but it's kind of like but. Uh, I'm a defender of Angel or even Buffy because I remember at the time it first came out in Belgium where I was living at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, my friends, we were all player of Vampire the Masquerade and we were extremely so- snob towards Buffy the Vampire Slayer 
an angel. We thought it was. It so wasn't cute. snob playing vampire. It wasn't yeah. a snob playing vampire. I don't know. I don't know. But there was it, some presumption in playing vampire back in the 90s. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> when that showed up, uh, people were like, oh, no, but it's not treating vampires the right way. They, they look ridiculous. And some of the dialogues are bad because the, it was a French dub, which you lose so much of the original dialogues. Yeah. But then we had the DVD and uh, we, we watched the stuff. Um, before all of that happened, by all of that, I mean, let's call it the quotation mark situation. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping to have you also on an episode so you could tell me about some of your, your projects because you're a game designer, right? Oh. Yeah, I'm an amateur game designer. <laughs> but you come highly to. recommended for an amateur designer. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And I, I humbly thank all people who said nice things about my, my projects and games. But, uh, what is what is really nowadays to be a professional game designer or be an amateur game designer, right? Because there are really different ways of publishing your games, even if you're not if you're not working for a well-known publisher, right? Um, yeah. So um, some years back, I've been developing some games. I did a lot of this. I did three different hacks of the World of Dungeons by John Harper. That is a very small version. Very, we call it a mini mini RPG, right? Um, a very small, a, a version of Dungeon World. If uh, it was only six page long, and if like it was the basic of Dungeon World, that's what all Dungeon. So I tried to translate it into Portuguese. I add some things from the different hacks and adapt it to a kind of mythic fantasy. Uh, that was that would be based in Iberia, uh, in a mythic fantasy Iberia. Then I'm a very uh, big uh, Dune fan by Frank Herbert, so I did a different hack of uh, World of Dungeons. My hack was called Mundo Mesmoras. It's uh, Dungeon World in Portuguese, basically the translation. And I did a, a hack in, uh, based on Dune called Planeta Desert, Desert Planet. It's like if you mix a bit of Dune. A, a large portion of Dune without the names of the things, with the names filed off, and a bit of sword and platinum science fiction. So it was Planeted there. And then, because I'm a big, big fan of World of De- Darkness, I uh, played a lot in, from the 90s to the 2000s. Uh, I wrote my love letter to World of Dungeons and created Cidade Obscura. That's an act that is based as well in movies that you will play different supernatural creatures in a, an urban environment and you are conspiring against each other. Another 20 pages of long game. And from there, I've been trying to developing, um, Heroes Modernos. So Heroes Modernos in English, modern heroes is, um, a diceless comic book creating story game. As in superhero comic books, um, where the premise is that you're not, in fact, playing the superhero characters. You're playing um, a comic writing and comic creators team in a fictional town of Odeon, where because the superheroes appeared on the 60s, they become the, the next thing in the movies. So Audion is a very cheap alternative to film besides New York City. It's very similar to New York. So you have a booming 
now in decline movie industry that is focused on super superheroes. And there's a, a comics publisher there called Odeon City Comics. And you are in the team trying to create a comic book. So you describe panel by panel what is happening. You have to come up with really uh, evocative advertisements for your comic while you're creating the comic. And it's based on um, a point economy called Punchtkarga or uh, dramatic charge points that you have to spend or you gain co depending on the decisions you take for your character. Uh, because if when as an author of the comic, you can take two different stances. You are the writer uh, or you are the artist. If you're the writer, you are writing the dialogues and describing what actions that are the metric appropriate to the comic cool. that you have to say. When you are the artist, you wait for your turn and you help the writer uh, describing things, saying what kind of colors are exploding on the panel and what kind of, um, I don't know, uh, kind of um, drawing you have is very expressionist, is very realistic. So you take time um, as a writer. And if you decide to do something dramatic for your character, you and that depends if it is successful or not. If it is to be successful, you have to spend points. And if you want to get for it to fail or have a dramatic upheaval, you gain points. The difference is because if you have to spend a lot of points, you can turn the page, uh, describe the panel, turn the page and describe on the other panel on the next page, what kind of dramatic upheaval you stand beside uh, concerning the villain and how oh, you, I've defeated you. You are not a, yeah. if you want to gain a lot of points, you will suffer. Your character will suffer. I mean, uh, you turn the page as well, describe the next panel, and your hero possibly is defeated uh, in front of the villain or the menace. So that's the main point of the game. And you have, you will, you don't have, you will, you won't in fact use always the mechanic to describe the panels because there is a kind of free play between the specific panels that you uh, use points for and the other things. Because it's like, um, uh, like I imagine would be a bullpen meeting at the comic, right? You're discussing, no, no, you should put a page here. You should put a panel here. <laughs> so you are free playing, right? And at the time, you have really to make a commitment in what you're creating with the rest of your publishing team. So you say, no, I spend the points for my character, Grasshopper Boy, to jump in the air with his hands, with his, in fact, wings flapping and go across the city. So I spend a point, I spend the point and he does it. And people, oh yeah, sure. Okay. But there's an economy. You don't, you have a limit of points, uh, depending on each character you own. So it will become like a fluctuation, like a curve. And sometimes you have to fail to get some points to try and advance the plot. There's a kind of tracker that says, if you are, uh, if the heroes are really opposing the menace or the villain, or if the, the villain and the menace are, uh, really getting ahead and back at, uh, at the end of the, the magazine of the issue, you can have a feeling if it went, uh, to favor the heroes or the villain. And there's a point that the game, the, the magazine is divided in acts, like I think it's three acts. And what separates one act from each other is like um, a fictional fictional trigger. 
For example, the first act ends when uh, there is an evident show sign that something is wrong at the city and the heroes have to go and meet the menace. I call it an editor move because you have an editor as well that creates the adversity and tries to push forward for a very commercial issue. This issue has to sell, damn it. <laughs> and you know, yeah, you have to have a nice villain and something like that. So that's the editor. It's all kind of the GM, right? And, and when that thing happens, uh, we have a, a, a clear sign that something is afoot. The, the, for example, the editor has a move and says, okay, that's over. Let's go to the, to the next act. But now we have to create an ad for uh, something that our magazine is selling because we have sponsors. So people get out of that idea as publishers with a character, uh, authors with a character and they try and make a page with some advertising can be, um, can be, uh, I don't know, plastic ring from your lettern, green lettern, another hero, or it can be, I don't know, already we had, while I was playtesting, we had, uh, cereals commercials, <laughs> uh, a new, a new cartoon called Samurai Lizards and things like that. So act after act, you have different, um, moves that the editor plays and you have to get out of that mindset as authors to create ads or different parts of the magazine that reminds you as a player that you're creating an issue. It could be uh, an ad for a different comic book series that you can try and create. Maybe something you could play on next, next issue. I don't know. Uh, it could, it's, it's one of it. It's an editorial where the editor says what he's trying Stan Lee style, what he's trying to achieve by this comic, right? Some moral uh, issue that he wants to talk about or something about the theme of the issue. And the last one, it's really an idea that came from um, a Brazilian uh, RPG fan, great fan and promoter that is Tunitra in Brazil. While I was playtesting in Brazil, I went to a, a games festival there. And he said, oh, we should have some fan mail. And fan mail is a thing that I know exists from primetime adventures, right? So it's not very, very original. So the thing is, at the end of the issue, the authors assume a different stance and they say, now I'm, I'm a fan. I've read the previous, a preview copy of the, the issue and I will ask the questions, some questions to the editor and ask him, what about that time of the issue when Grasshopper Boy was jumping? Wasn't he missing a, a, a wing or something like, for example, um, oh, Tauret's a really interesting character. She's a Egyptian hippopotamus goddess. What a lot about the other Egyptian goddesses? Will they appear in the next issue? And then the editor has to answer the questions. So in a sense, it's a way for like fan mail in, in PTA. In primetime adventures, you as a player can call for different things that come out or even comment in a different way how the issue went along. So maybe in the gist, that's what Hiroshi uh, Dernes is. Okay. Uh, it's a very, yeah, I'm still trying and fine tuning it. Um, there's a strange mix, author and actor stance, because you create the comic, but sometimes you are playing the hero. I think it works in both ways. Andrea Tavaj really likes it and likes it also because of that. Um, so I'm still fine tuning, writing it down. I have, um, 
I have some art to it because there's a dear friend of mine from back in the day when we created our comic fanzines at school called Vishkavat. We already, yeah, I really liked comic books and I like as well. So he's doing the art and he's helping me creating, but I'm still trying to do the hardest thing for me that is writing rules. It's really hard writing, doing text for the game is really hard. It's hard for me and I'm still trying fine tuning and I want to publish it someday. I don't know. Uh, and that's the, the project that has been occupying my mind in the last year. I'm, com- yeah. I'm completely sold, I must say. Uh, <laughs> nice! I'm like, uh, yeah, except will this will this be available in English, per chance? I, I, I really want to, 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 write, to translate it into English. I think that's a very strong possibility. The thing is, um, when I write RPG material or games, I first... I... I always start by thinking in and writing in Portuguese. I, it's my language. It's, I'm, it's more natural to me to write in Portuguese. But there are some people that say, no, you should already write it in English. It's people in Portugal know English. You would get some, uh, support from other countries, right? Um, but I first start in Portuguese. All the projects that I've been written, I started in, in Portuguese. Even some, uh, uh, some that I haven't talked about, I also acquired, but I want to, I want to, possibly I'll do the translation myself. Mm-hmm. And then I ask someone to revise, some native uh, speaker to revise it. And because I'm a Portuguese speaker, I'm knowledgeable of English. I'm an English teacher, uh, in fact, in, here in Portugal. But, uh, to get it across to a larger quantity of per- people who speak English, um, I think it's better to get some some uh, people to edit and to revise it. Yeah, but I want to. I don't know how, but I want to. The first, the first, uh, the first thing was to publish it at drive through um, as a print on demand. But that's getting really hard now because even I don't know if you know, but drive through are suspending their printing on demand service. Mm. They already suspended it, so we don't know how it will fare back in the future. But I really want to, I really would like for people to play it. So I have to translate it in English. Um, we've got some, yeah. we got someone in the sh- chat, uh, Minaki, or Minaki, who is saying yeah. that uh, they will make sure that it's, it gets translated. <laughs> they volunteer <laughs> yeah, yeah. contribute and as proofreader. But yeah, it's okay, it's, okay. it's funny. Uh, I'm I just finished finally watching the the whole originals uh, show of Steven Universe, and you were talking about things. I was like, oh, that could work nicely for Steven Universe also because there's often okay. stuff which are not product placements, for instance, but they are like a product placement. So there's this Cookie Cats from like the first episode, that the the chaps brand of uh, crisps. And, uh, yeah, it could be, could work nicely with, uh, the idea of, um, having the, the art, uh, the, um, what do you call that? The, the person doing the art and the person, the editor. I think that, that could work, uh, in a, in a very interesting, uh, manner as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm designing my own first, very first game. And I'm this point when I think my rules are almost set. But what I want to, mm-hmm. to read more is, is, yeah, I, I need to, to write more to, to give it more 
more content in terms of exp- so what I did are is kind of a contained version of the rules, but I want to expand and exp- explain the spirit of each aspect of of the rules. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like a, one of the stat is emotion. I want to describe that. I mean, where, where I'm going to is, as you're saying, it's it's a struggle to write. I was wondering if you had advice for for young designers or starting <laughs> designers. They don't have to be to be young. What's your what's I'll your see, secret? To be so fast and efficient. (laughs) Well, you have to, uh, because I'm very bad at writing it down. I'm not bad at writing it down. I do write, but I always find that uh, if people would read what I have already wrote for the game, they wouldn't start playing it. As it stands now, I'm the only one. I'm not the only one because people already played it, and some some friends of mine and other game designers have played it, and maybe they almost know it by heart, but. Um, I want people to read the text and start playing it. And I think the text as it stands now, it's not really proper for that. I'm even trying to write a very simple brochure uh, version of the game with eight pages and only some mechanics. Um, it's what the challenge in writing a RPG uh, game. It's, it has to be instructive. It has to teach you how to play the game without any doubts. I do hope, right? But also has to bring on some flavor and inspire you to create things. And it's a very strange mixture because it's not a, it's not a technical manual. It's not fiction. It's something in between and something that seems me clear when I write. People will definitely, most definitely don't understand it. I give it to some, what I've already wrote, give it to some people and they, uh, read it and okay, let's try and play then see, to see if I understand it. So yeah, uh, the first thing is should write, write, write and trying to write. I think being very succinct, it's a possible way to do it. Yeah. Um, I have actually downloaded, um, a guide that is on the net, how to write game rules and it's really focused on game boards. I'm sorry. Um, board games, but it has some really, really good uh, tips because there are passages in the rules that you have to very be very clear without a doubt what you have to do, right? And sometimes when we're writing RPG rules, we forget. We mix examples with, with the, the game designer's intention and preferences by true trust. So um, maybe you should try and, it depends on the project, but maybe you should try to Get a good basis of what the game rules are that you can real very easily access and understand, and then use the fiction to inspire. Most of the RPG texts use that. So game game rules, then fiction, and worst contenders of RPG games are the ones that mixed it a lot. Right, a lot of different games in the nineties did did that. So it's real was really hard for us to get a, an idea of the game. Right. Um, but I don't have any kind of tips because I'm the worst at writing it. Um, you just gave uh, some I have tips. a lot of, <laughs> <Those were good laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 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 But, but I'm not using it. I don't know. Maybe I already have the thing is maybe I already have the texts ready, but me as an, uh, as a game designer is the one that thinks that it's not ready. Right. Maybe it's that. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm being very. Uh, weird at what people that people will find the text really hard to manage. I don't know. Um, uh, 
but I already have the playtest materials. I already have some components. I can play the game. I can get demo the game. I could almost bet that some people can play it without me. Uh, the thing that is really missing is fine tuning some mechanics and write the damn thing and publishing it. Cause I, I already have a person who can help me with the layout. That's a heart. It's, it's really easy. Just waiting for me to finish. <laughs> so that's the thing. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of publishing it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Imposter syndrome is a thing. It's tough. Uh, I mean, I'm, I think I'm at this point when I'm almost there where I could hand out the rules to someone and see what they do with it. If I don't explain anything, uh, I'm, I'm considering, uh, hello, Tom, <laughs> back in, uh, in the US, uh, to, to well, send it to some. What's um, your game about? You didn't. Oh, well, yeah, I'm a bit shy in telling about it. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's silly. Nobody's it's, listening. Just yeah, three people. I actually, I actually, uh, told uh, the title, uh, on the stream, uh, two days ago for the first time. So, uh, the title of the game is called, uh, Paris Gondo. The life-saving art of inventorying. The concept mm-hmm. is that there's this, uh, lifestyle, uh, well-being guru, uh, trans-dimensional, uh, they, they are a monk and, um, they give advice on adventurers in the multiverse about how to manage their inventory. So the game is just mm-hmm. that is applying, uh, their philosophy which is you should keep belongings based on a number of things, but often adventurers forget about emotion, the emotional value of an object. So the game starts mm-hmm. as you just defeated your big bad evil girl or guy. There's the loot. So the players uh, got a, a deck of each of deck of cards. They, they pick a class of character. Uh, they got a deck of cards, which is their starting inventory, and each item in the inventory, they got a number of different stats, which are or encumbering it is, because depending on their class, they can carry more or less stuff. Like the barbarian can carry much more than the wizard, for instance. Mm-hmm. And you got some objects which can be very heavy, and others which can be light. If you have a dagger, it's very light, obviously. Uh, if mm-hmm. you found... Uh, one of the starting inventory objects, which I already mentioned, is a stone tablet, uh, which is a bit difficult to carry. It's not the worst, but it's difficult. Uh, you've got how useful the, these objects are. If it's a dagger, it's kind of useful. I mean, it's not the, maybe the, the starting inventory one is not the best dagger, but it still can be useful to have a dagger. It's, if it's a healing kit, it's very useful, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're, uh, the cleric, because some objects also, they are affiliated to classes, so, their usefulness is doubled if you are the cleric with the healing kit. Instead of being worth two in usefulness, it's worth four. So it's very good. Uh, then you've got the emotional value, uh, which is, for instance, the stone tablet. is It's got a usefulness of zero because it's an unreadable stone tablet, but it's got an emotion value of hey, three. You can still hit people with it. Yeah, not this one because it's too heavy and so on. (laughs) So you've got a number of objects and I give them wacky names which are evocative of, you know, the the games Mm -hmm. people play. 
there's a melomaniac donkey for the bard, for instance, <laughs> which is kind of useful. Uh, there's even pieces of clothing, like the, the barbarian's got a loincloth, and you could decide to get rid of your loincloth uh, if you want it. But uh, that's your starting inventory. When the game starts, each player, uh, they loot two items, meaning they're going to roll the stats of two new items. So they got the stats, and based on the stats, they need to make up an object which should match their stat. So if you roll something extremely uh, useful, but also extreme, let's say something useful, you, and you roll that it's specifically uh, appropriate for Bart, but it's very encumbering. You could say, I have discovered a magical piano. So... It's a piano, it's magical, it's got a usefulness which is maxed out. If you are a bard, it's really, really useful, it's very powerful. You can make someone do anything by playing on the piano, but mm -hmm. uh, it's it's got a maximum encumbrance, which is like six. It's like you're going to have to carry this piano on your journey because the next yeah. phase of the game is the journey home. And depending on the objects the players have kept or got rid of, they're going to roll to find out if they survived the journey home. Uh, first, by pooling together their usefulness. See how useful their, all their objects were. So did they keep stuff which were useful enough to help them to survive? Then individually, will they survive uh, based on their encumbrance? Because if they've been holding too many objects and the, their payload is too heavy... Well, the bridge might have, might have broken down or they fell off a cliff or they were too slow and they go caught up by a balrog or something like that. Again, it's up to the players to describe what happened to them, but there's a roll of dice based on what they kept to, to find out whether or not they survive. And finally, the final roll is to find out once you manage to arrive home, everybody's home uh, in their individual little places, if that's what they want, but they're going to roll to find out if they had a long and fulfilling life because they had enough emotion in the object because maybe they survived all those troubles but then they end up in this monastery and you're the cleric and when you made your decision you decided not to keep the unreadable stone tablet which was too heavy and not very useful and you did survive but you just missed that role under emotion which was missing just those few points your tablet would have granted you and you're like maybe this tablet had the message you know the meaning on life written yeah. on it and I will never know and your your character uh, yeah they had a long life but they yeah they, they always had uh, regrets regarding what happened and and that's the, the game do you think the game do you think the game is about making meaningful decisions of, of what you bring along and what you have to live yeah, um, yeah, and and is that choice up to the players and to the character, or is it uh, only through mechanics and luck? It's so it's you trade cards with the other players, so the players oh, going okay. to change their cards, and so uh, the the idea is uh, that that bit of making the inventory is almost intentionally a bit cumbersome because the idea is math mm. are fun. <laughs> <laughs> and like like a bit it's an homage to old school ro role playing games with 
complex inventory tracking yeah. uh, system. Yeah. I, w I went to Diablo 2 game. Where we yeah, yeah, it's sort of. Inventory, yeah, that's a, really an in inventory managing game. This guy is a dungeon <laughs> action game, right? So, so you got this yeah. phase where people calculate uh, the thing, but before that, the, the idea is really to come up with funny objects. Uh, like, uh, I remember playing a session. Okay. When, like, um, uh, yeah, the, I played this, this playtested it once only, uh, publicly. The second playtest was cancelled because of quotation mark the situation. Uh, but we played three games in an evening. The, the games are like 45, even 30 minutes long. And it's more a storytelling game than a role playing game per, per se. But, uh, yeah, we played in a classic dungeon, in a spaceship, and in a, a non-Euclidean dimension, geometric dimension, uh, inspired by uh, by Lovecraft. And when we went into the non-Euclidean, I remember I made up a wand of ultimate straightening, so it could straighten anything. <laughs> and so it was... Uh, it was very useful. It was you you destroyed the non-Euclidean dimension because you all went. Yeah, straight. yeah, that's that's how we survived. <laughs> uh, I remember once uh, someone made up a a uh, something for the rogue, which was a, a mannequin. So you had this like uh, life-size puppet in wood, which you would have to carry around, which was really annoying to carry around, very encumbering. But very useful to disable trap because you would take the puppet and just throw it. Yeah, you, yeah, you throw the trap. dummy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the idea is really how people make up the they, they make up the the setting on the fly with almost zero rules. They, they make up the objects with the stats as the prompt, and then they make up the consequences of their decisions. Because when they fail a role, uh, it's up to the players to say, well. I passed away because because the idea is that they try to remember what they got rid of or what they kept. So if they fail at if when they succeed together, uh, the, the sort of the the person running the game, although it's it's GMless, is encouraging them to okay explain how you all survive your journey back thanks to the object you kept or tell me now why. You all died at that moment, and and preferably to say, well, just at that moment, I ended up in front of a lock, and I know that that lock was the lock for which I had a key before, and I threw it away. Uh, everything would have gone well if I had kept that key, and and the sort of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More like, a, yeah, more of a storytelling game. Yeah, that's real. That that's interesting. Reminds me of Once Upon a Time. You know that card game that you have to tell a story and you have to use the cards, but in a sense you have to retcon the story. So and yeah, it's it seems to to make managing inventory really fun for me because I don't really like inventory. It's kind of taking a yeah, taking a stab at at doing it, and at the same time, it's both a love letter and a hate letter to to doing an inventory. <laughs> And actually, I haven't played um, Once Upon a Time, but the inspiration for 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 this game was uh, mm -hmm. the extraordinary adventures of Baron Minchosen. Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which was also I haven't by played James it. Wallace. 
we we played yeah, yeah, it in yeah, an yeah, episode. Sure. We uh, I was lucky to have Jim Wallace here for for dinner, so we fed him well. We gave him a lot of. But, but were you actually drinking alcohol while playing? Yes, it, yes, yes. It's it's recorded. Oh, it's a two part episode, and he made a lot of uh, confession regarding. Uh, the long history of tabletop role playing uh, publishing in which oh, okay. he's been involved. So that's a, that's a very good episode. Right. Uh, but was it fooled only by alcohol, those confessions? Because the alcohol that got James, talking, James is a talkative individual, so he doesn't need to. Uh, okay, he doesn't need the alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but there might be some f- stuff in there you might slightly regret saying so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we, always, I, we always do allegedly I mean, what's interesting with that episode what I love with this episode is that so as with my show my regular show The Rollist I mix two things usually it's an interview with something else uh, it can be mm-hmm. music can be a Vox Populi I recorded with people in the streets can be us going to a movie yeah in this one, it was the interview with James, and it was us playing the game Baron Munchausen. So the interview is interrupted by little bits of us playing the game. And Baron Munchausen, you made up, you make up those crazy stories, which are blatant lies. And <laughs> and the interview with James, you cannot help but wonder. Is he still playing the game? <laughs> is this story true? <laughs> or is like, the king still? Yeah, like, yeah. Like he tells the story of how allegedly, uh, so he went to this uh, school called Eton, which is kind of famous, mm-hmm. where a lot mm-hmm. of our current political, where our current um, prime minister actually went, uh, as well did uh, maybe the not the last one, but the one before that, David Cameron. And allegedly, according to James Wallace, not only David Cameron, did play Dungeons and Dragons for a while, but he played a dwarf, and James allegedly inherited that character later. So, mm-hmm. um, so if you want to hear stories about that, uh, go check that episode. Yeah, I'll check it out. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm checking the quickly the chat because uh, Persephone is waving at me. It's uh, I'm recording this. I'm taking advantage of the nap of my two years old. Because my wife is working yeah, from home, yeah. so I need to take care of a lovely baby. So, da-da. Uh, yes, more advice. Royce Modernos brought you, yeah, Coron. No, no, I'm not going to say the other name of the, the convention. So it's Concordia 2020. It's not something else. Uh, no, no, there's no other question. Do you have anything else to, to add or plug uh, before we, we close this one? Oh, uh, so uh, check out our Discord server, server with Concordia. Uh, if you follow the site rpgportugal.com, you'll get a link in the page to the to the server. Even if you are English speaker, you can try and, and play with us because most of us are knowledge of English and don't re- most of us don't really mind. Um, uh, even if there is one player that speaks in English, most people don't mind to play it in English. Even we all most of all are Portuguese. Um, and we write in English as well. Um, if you are interested in Heroes uh, Modernos, there isn't really an um, a English homepage, but you can find out at facebook.com Heroes Modernos. It's spelled H-E-R-O-I-S-M-O-D-E-R-N-O-S. We'll try to put uh, a link find, in find... The, the description <laughs> yeah, of the episode thank you, and thank on you, the YouTube thank you. and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can, 
if you can find me at Twitter, uh, at JRNMariano, and you can start talking with me about RPGs. The things I love the best is RPGs. Um, so talk about it in English. You need um, to run some playtests uh, in English uh, of Everest Modernos. Oh, that would be, be cool. Uh, I'm, I'm actually having a big difficulty uh, passing it to online. Because it has tokens, and I already have the materials. I've uh, looked up Roll20. It's a bit hard to get to create a character cheat in there, and I already have one made for the playtest. And I already looked up Tabletopia as well. Do you know Tabletopia? No, but uh, uh, not right now, but let's discuss later, because actually I, I even have my, my own game's got a big problem also, because it, you've got a deck of cards which each player get, and then they're supposed to not only trade them, but they're supposed to have each two cards which they fill themselves and then trade. And I have no clue, oh, I could do that on Roll20 or, <laughs> or somewhere else. So if there's some Roll20 wizard, uh, someone very good at this sort of things, uh, and yeah, sure. curious about my game and would like to help me, actually, I was reali I realized recently it would be very cool to be able to run it online, but... It's it's very technically challenging. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure it's possible. I mean, it, everything is possible, but I'm not gonna yeah. develop an app for that. So yeah, it's already a lot to edit and broadcast uh, podcast. So yeah. So yeah, that's it. Uh, time f for me to wake up my son. Thank you so much, uh, Marianne, uh, John. Uh, thank you and uh, yeah we hopefully we, you'll be back on the show um, I'm not sure thank I'm going to interview next it's quite nice uh, I'm finding out I, I must say I'm doing this because I need it <laughs> I'm an extrovert and I really need those conversations and it's almost it's awesome to, to do it with people a bit further away thanks to, to the internet so thank you very much and yeah everyone go check uh, the links uh, subscribe to our newsletter go have a look at our Patreon And uh, yeah, go to Concordia. And uh, yeah, also the Concordia, I did not realize it was an ongoing thing, which I find is very interesting. But another thing, if you happen to be fluent in French, CyberConv is coming. And uh, it's a it's an online convention organized by French-speaking tabletop RPG fans. Uh, it's going to be a weekend long. There's going to be, um, I was about to say, table ronde. Uh, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm, it's the first time I'm doing something in French. A round table? Round yeah, table? yeah, yeah, it's a seminar. That's a, that's a panel. But there's a lot of stuff I was telling them. I want to organize that. And they were like, oh, is that a debate? I say, yeah, that, that's thing. Oh, yeah, but the debate Not is. Not really. This. <laughs> I'm confused. Anyway. It's an open conversation. Open yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they're gonna run games. They're gonna even have booth, online booth you can visit. Um, I mean, a whole lot of stuff. Thank you so much, Juan. And uh, hello, Thank you as well. hello to the awesome, awesome uh, tabletop RPG community in Portugal. And uh, yeah, to everyone, uh, stay indoor. Uh, feel free to tweet at me or tweet uh, to John. Uh, we love to chat. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who love to chat, but please do stay inside and do everything it is needed so we can get rid of this awful thing as soon as possible with as many, uh, as little impact as possible. Thank you so much and uh, see you Bye. in a couple days. Bye. Our logo is designed by Roland Kunz. Our theme song is Playtime by Jazar, which you can download on the free music archive. 
A video version of this episode is available on YouTube. Please consider subscribing to our channel there. Leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you would like more Café Rollist, you can also get access to our archive of 100 or so additional episodes via Patreon. If you want to be informed of everything released by the Rollist, we have a monthly newsletter for you to join. And if you want to contribute via the chat room to one of our recordings, subscribe to our Twitch channel and social media accounts to be informed of when streams are happening. Finally, links to everything I just mentioned can be found in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening to us, and remember, you are the Realist. <laughs>